our mind allows us to set our heart on things. And we can only set our heart on things that are in our mind. And this is why God reveals truth to our mind. It is in order to reach our heart and to transform it, redeem it, and reconcile it to himself, to be brought into harmony with him. This is Nita Erlene, and you are listening to the TRC Ministries podcast. This is our final episode in our seven-part series titled, Dealing with Desire. Today, Tori will wrap up with a recap of where we have been, and then take a deeper look at purifying the heart. Here is Tori Bjorklund, President of TRC Ministries, teaching Part 7 of Dealing with Desire. We're picking up the uh, series on Dealing with Desire. I'm going to rip through a few slides here just to try to reorient us, to kind of help remind us from where we've come. I want to start with some Bible verses here that will help to orient us. Paul wrote in his letter to the Thessalonians, in 1 Thessalonians uh, chapter 4, 2-7, through For you know what instructions we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that is, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each of you know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor, not in lustful passion like the Gentiles who do not know God and that no one violate the rights and take advantage of his brother or sister in the matter, because the Lord is the avenger in all these things, just as we also told you previously and solemnly warned you. For God has not called us for impurity, but in sanctification. This is a passage on desire. Maybe you haven't thought about it that way. We're going to get to this passage a little bit later. This one Paul also wrote to Titus. Titus 2, 11 and 12. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all people, instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires, and to live sensibly, righteously, and in a godly manner in the present age. And then Jesus speaking in, uh, we have in Matthew 23, 23, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, for you tithe mint, dill, and cumin, and have neglected the visions of the law, justice, mercy and faithfulness but these are the things you should have done without neglecting the others now this might seem like a stretch that it's a verse about desire but the approach that jesus took took into account the entire person and that's what we want to do as well as we want to take into account the entire person when we're dealing with desire okay just a brief review so we started talking about different aspects of a person so we have the body or physical, the flesh. We have thoughts, we have feelings, we make choices, we live in a culture, we're affected by society, and the Bible tells us we are a living soul. And so we need to try to make sense of these if we're going to have a holistic coach. Um, we also talked about the source of action in a person, that interplay of all of those components are involved. And so what we find is typically we're, our will is basically giving in to the pre-components. We know that to be the case when we're something with that that is denying our body something that it's asking for. Sometimes we give in. This is where Jesus said to Peter, for example, 
the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. So we have our actions are, are multifaceted, and it's really an expression of entire uh, our entirety and not just one aspect like our will. So lasting change, of course, then requires an entire change of who we are. Um, we talked about the body and thoughts and feelings and our social influences are all affecting the will, and certainly our actions come out of our will, but there's impact and, and influence from all of these aspects of who we are. And then, of course, we had to define what desire is. And so the word means a strong feeling of wanting to have something or wishing for something to happen. Also, we have social influences. We have physical influences. We have experiences and habits that influence us. And all of these feed into our value system. We form opinions. We have thoughts and ideas. And these are what influence the desires that we have. We also talked about temptation, and we wanted to talk about the difference between desire and temptation. And the English word temptation doesn't quite carry the same meaning that was the biblical concept of temptation. The biblical concept of temptation was basically to try or to test someone's character is really what a temptation is doing. So we compared the difference between desires and temptations, where a desire is an aspiration or an impulse, whereas a temptation is really an aspiration or an impulse for something that is wrong. And the idea of the temptation is to be presented with a, a situation or an opportunity to fulfill a desire to do something that is wrong. Finally, we said temptation is not sin, desire is not sin, but you can desire sin. You can desire good things, you can desire bad things, but it is actually setting your heart on the intent of fulfilling that desire is where the sin is. And the temptation is the opportunity to bring that intent into play. We talked about how thoughts and feelings have an interplay with our will, and that how we can't really, we can't choose something we can't think about. You only choose what you think about. And oftentimes, though, our thoughts and our feelings are influencing what we choose. And so there's an interplay between those. And we talked about what do we need to deal with first? Do we renew the mind or do we purify the heart? And so this is where we ended here, is that this process of transformation, we started with the assumption that we are submitting to God as the beginning and receiving life. And so all of the discussion is after that point here. And I said, renewing the mind is the place to start. And then where we're going to talk about today is purifying the heart. And then finally, at another time, presenting the body. So these are the three aspects of the human being that, are, that we're looking at for the purpose of transformation. Okay, the last thing here is where we left off. In renewing the mind, I was challenging us to examine our ideas and to ask God to examine our ideas to help us to understand these presuppositions, these assumptions that we have that many times we aren't even aware of. And then I said to mind your treasure, to be careful about what you treasure, to be very purposeful about setting your heart on something. And then think on these things from Colossians, making the primary thoughts in our life 
related to the things of God. Whatsoever you do, whether you eat or drink, <laughs> or whatsoever your hand finds to do, do it in the name of Jesus. This is where everything that we do is doing it in the context of the existence of God, thinking on these things. All right, so I want to talk about jumping to purify the heart. So we talked last time about renewing the mind, and so I want to talk today about purifying the heart. The verse here, Proverbs 25, 28, says, Like a city that is broken into and without walls is a man who has no control over his spirit. Now, you might recall from our previous discussions that the heart, the spirit, and the will biblically are talking about the same aspect of a human being. The, the heart is the location. It's the position. The spirit is the nature. It, it's spiritual. We are spiritual in nature. And the way that that spirit is expressed is through the will. The choices. This is actually being spiritual in nature allows us to have the power to initiate or create choice. Okay? So the next step in the process of transformation after renewing the mind, and by the way, I want to be clear, not after the mind is completely renewed, but once you, you start with a focus there, the, the next place that you're looking at is the heart. So I want to remind us here that the heart really is the center. It's the center of human life, okay? And it's really the core of who we are. It, it, it defines who we are. And this is really what it means to be made in the image of God. This is the image that we bear of God, the fact that we are spiritual beings. It is our God-given, God-pattern spiritual self that makes us, each one of us, an individual, a, hu a unique human being. So technically our heart, like I said, is a reference to the location of this aspect of being. And its function is to choose. Okay? Now, I like the definition that Dallas Willard gives to spirit. He says it's unbodily personal power. And this is really what we're talking about is the power to choose. It's the power of choice to originate or create our own thoughts, intents, and actions. It is our heart or our spirit that makes us both valuable and culpable to God. Now this, to me, is really, really a key aspect. It is the target. It is the intention of God's transformation in us. This is the main focus. Our mind, if you might remember when we talked about um, ideas, our mind allows us to set our heart on things. And we can only set our heart on things that are in our mind. And this is why God reveals truth to our mind. It is in order to reach our heart and to transform it, redeem it, and reconcile it to himself, to be brought into harmony with him. So, of course, I think it's probably important for us to understand that when we start off in life, we start off spiritually dead. And what does that mean? What does it mean to be spiritually dead? 
what does it mean to be alive? If a plant has been has died, it does not gain any benefit from exposure to the sun. When it's alive, it can do the processes that it would naturally do when it's exposed to the sun. So when we are dead, our spirit is not able to gain the benefit of the existence of God until we become alive to God. And so our human condition starts without God in the sense that we don't have that connection. And so God, at the beginning of our life, is working to bring us into that connection with him. That is, I believe, the biblical state of mankind. And the problem that we face is the fact that our spirit, by many times, by the time we get to this point where we actually become connected with God, we come, become alive, the problem is, well, we're formed already. Many times, in my case, for example, I was 18 years old. There was a lot of formation that had occurred by that time. And so the fact that our spirit is formed when and, and our character is formed without the interaction with God to some degree, varying degrees, depending on our age and experiences, the problem is now we need to be reformed or transformed from that character that had developed in our heart to the character that God wants to have in our heart. And that takes a process. That's why it's advantageous for us to raise our children in the presence of God and to bring them into that life as soon as we can. There's less transformation required then. But without the spiritual teleonomy working to guide the proper formation in life, we come out a real big mess. And we have to be reformed or transformed. But everything that I'm going to talk about is assuming that we have life, okay? So we talked about this a little bit. I won't go into a lot of detail, but we looked at the heart and the will and must remember that it does not function in a vacuum. The heart does not function in a vacuum. We choose based on what we think and feel at the time. Our will is affected and even limited by what we think. Now, we don't always choose based on what we feel, but sometimes by what we think, sometimes by what we feel no matter what we think. But our choices are very much affected by what we think and feel. But the mind also depends on the will in that the condition, the uh, things that we think are the things that we allow ourselves to think. You remember what Paul said about uh, in the first chapter of Romans about the human condition. Rejected the thought of God. They refuse to think that God is who God is. And this is, a, this is the result of the will making that choice. So this is the, the condition that we find ourselves in, and we need to recognize that there's this interplay between them. So the goal here is to bring all of that to bear on who we are and to think those thoughts that will lead to the right kinds of decisions. 
and to have a, a unified wholeness because our spirit is located at the center of who we are and is the aspect around which really our entire being is being organized. So if you think about this, we talked about how everybody's heart in Jeremiah, it says that the heart is what? Deceitful and desperately wicked. When you think about that, that deceit, being deceived, we're often the recipient of that deception. We're deceived ourselves. And we find ourselves being torn between this and that, right? And that, guess what? When we are torn, that is the opposite of being well-formed or being well-organized. And that really then is the objective, is to get our heart to line up with the heart of God so that the rest of our life will be organized in a way that is in harmony with God and with what God designs. And that's why, for example, you might remember in James, in James 4, he tells these people that they're double-minded and that they should do something. What is it that the double-minded should do? Purify your heart, you double-minded. What does that mean? purifying your heart. That means to remove the things that are impure and have the things that are pure. Now when you talk about pure what? Pure water, for example. You remove everything that's not water and you leave only the things that are water. It's a singleness is what is being talked about here. And so the idea of purifying your heart is to really come to a singleness of purpose as being your primary focus of the things that you choose. But remember, it's not just a matter of will. That means you have to engage your mind in thinking the thoughts of God, for example. That means you have to engage your body. It means you have to engage your entire being to cooperate in order to be able to continue to choose the choices that align with the will of God. What it means to organize your life around the will of God. To purify your heart. So our ultimate objective is this unified wholeness and to have a complete state of being in harmony with the will of God. Now, you might remember uh, John. John said that we know that we love God when we keep his commandments and they're not burdensome. That would be another indication of a, of a unified person being organized around the will of God, wouldn't it? When it's not that difficult to do the things that Jesus commanded. That would be another indication of that. So we focus our value system, the things that we treasure, the places that we go, the things that we see, all of that around being in harmony with God. All right, I want to talk about three impediments to spiritual transformation. Okay, so remember, we were talking last time about our mind, renewing our mind, transforming our mind. Now we're talking about transforming our spirit. That's what I mean by spirit, spiritual transformation. So impediments to transforming or changing our spirit. So as we seek in a spiritual transformation, I think it's important to recognize that there are some ideas that are at odds with the idea of spiritual transformation in general. I don't want to go into each one of these in great detail, but I want to point them out because 
They really are in con in contradiction to the very idea of spiritual transformation. Now, naturalism is pretty easy for us to recognize. The idea or belief that all only laws of nature, as opposed to supernatural or spiritual enforces, operate in the world. The idea or belief that nothing exists beyond this natural world. If nothing exists beyond the natural world, there's no need for it to be transformed. Okay, so pretty obvious. Some people might disagree with this, but Calvinism, if you go through sort of this traditional, you've heard of five-point Calvinists, by the way, they got them up there, they, they use the TULIP acronym. Four of the five points result in the denial of the reality of the will of man. That's my assertion and my understanding of Calvinism. And if you look at it in, in depth, you will find that four of those five points will basically result in the denial of the will of man. Now Calvinists, of course, will attempt to split hairs here and insist that man does have a will. He simply cannot use it to accept, except to choose evil. And that's like saying you can have any color you want as long as it's black. There's no choice in color if your only option is black. There is no choice here. So the issue is really no possibility for origination, which in my understanding is what the spirit is all about. So spiritual transformation is really admitting that we have options. It starts with admitting that our guilt admitting that our problem lies in the fact that we have not used our ability well. And that's why we need to be transformed. So this one, I think we need to examine that closely because if our ideas affect how we act, we will, in essence, see no need for spiritual transformation if we have no option in the outcome. The third one is even more subtle yet and possibly the most difficult because of its insidious nature. You guys know what insidious means? It sneaks up on you. <laughs> yeah, somebody said sneaks. It, yeah, you don't even notice it happening. Okay? And, and the primary point to be avoided here, I think, is the thought that choosing well is the only thing we need. This leads to legalism. If the point is choosing well is the only need to do, we get stuck here. So let me define legalism. An overemphasis on discipline of conduct or legal ideas. Misguided rigor. I like that one. Misguided rigor. What does that mean, by the way? You know, so when you do something rigorously, you're doing it to the utmost, right? And so if you're doing to the utmost something that's focused in the wrong area, it becomes wasted energy. Misguided rigor, emphasizing the letter of the law at the expense of the spirit. It primarily, legalism primarily denies the complexity of the will and the role played by other aspects of our being in our choosing. That's really the issue that we have here in regards to dealing with desire. And it appears in many forms, 
And the most simplistic is I used that idea of the anti-drug campaign two weeks ago. You remember that? I was talking about Barbara Bush's anti-drug campaign. What was the slogan? Just say no. Just say no is a simplistic form of legalism. It's how many drug addicts were saying no, maybe screaming no, while they're shooting up. I mean, I've been in the situation where I'm telling myself no while my body is saying yes. And just saying no does not adequately address the issue. So this, of course, reinforces the idea that we need to start with the mind, renovating the ideas that we've adopted as our own. And on the positive side, I want to say, I want to reiterate that a choose is intrinsic to our spiritual nature and is exactly what makes us so valuable to God. So much so that he refuses to overrule our choices. This gets into the issue of evil. But he refuses to overrule our choices and thereby remove evil from this world. By the way, if God overruled everybody's choice so that they only did good, all evil from the world would be gone. The comment was made that then we would be robots. And that's the issue, isn't it? That is the issue. So our ability to choose is so valuable to God that he refuses to override our choices and remove evil in that way. Because in so doing, he would in fact invalidate our existence. And the fact that we are image bearers um, gives us dignity. And what, what image uh, that we bear is our will, our ability to choose. That's the image of God that we bear. Okay? The fact that we're spiritual beings is what provides so much worth that Jesus would be willing to die and even take joy in doing so. Why? Because it reconciles, it brings about the ability to reconcile that which God values in us to himself. Colossians chapter 2, Paul talks about how, how Jesus, through Jesus, God is reconciling everything to himself. Not the least of which is our will. This is what God values more than anything else, is a fully operational will in harmony, in reconciliation, in harmony with him. This is the purpose for which we were created and the purpose for which Jesus Christ died. The bottom line, which by the way, we will, I, will, I assert, we will all intuitively <coughs> know to be true. This is the bottom line about these, these areas. You can't live as if it's only the physical reality that's there. Because what? You would have to say that this child is no more important to me than that child. You would have to say this bug is no more important to this world. Maybe it is more important to this world because it's not a, as much of a consumer as this child. And people reach those conclusions, but you can't live as if that's true. You can't do it. I will assert that you can't live as if you believe you have no say in the matter of salvation. You can't do it. And you can't live as if relationship doesn't matter. 
You can't, you just can't do it. And so the bottom line is that we can only operate as if we are completely free to choose, yet knowing that we are often conflicted and tossed, as the Bible says, to and fro by many factors that seem even to play with our heart. This is the reality that we all know, and any proposal of transformation must address this reality. We are free to choose, but we are often conflicted and tossed about by factors that seem outside of our control. And any solution has to rectify those two ideas. I remember in a, being in a Bible study, and I, and I really agreed with a lot of what this man taught, but there seemed to be something to me that was missing. And basically, one of the issues that was being, one of the things that was being taught is this idea of, I can't think of the word that he used, but the main choice, and then all other choices result from that choice. And that basically, if you get your main choice right, everything else will fall into place. And in theory and in paper, that looks good. The primary choice, get that right, and everything else falls into place. And to some degree, that's true. There's an aspect in which that, that lines up with reality. But then you start asking the question of where did this choice come from that doesn't line up with what I thought was my main choice? Is my main choice now is now in question, right? And if we don't realize that we are complex beings that are conflicted often, and recognize that separation, that, that, that broken of those pieces, and have a plan to address those, those and bring all of that into harmony, any other theory will, in essence, lead to either the conclusion that we have no will, or the conclusion that that's the only thing we have, and we have to wield it right. By the way, that's why that's superstition or legalism. All right. Last thing I, I'll close out here. These are the steps of transforming the heart. So the first one I would say is assess your heart. And honestly assess your heart by God's help. Admit who and where you are. What I mean by where you are is where are you in this process. Figure it out. Determine where your need is. Stop covering up. Stop justifying. Stop hiding or lying. And just get to the point of recognizing, yep, I got a problem. Or, hey, maybe I, I have some small problems. Maybe I have that primary decision yet to made. But we need to figure that out. The second step is, we need to, if we have a problem, which I think all of us will say at some point, we have some certain amount of need here. So first we're trying to just determine what our need actually is. But then we're going to cry out to God. We're going to call on him, recognizing that he is the only one that can bring wholeness to our entire being. We talked about surrender Two weeks ago and last week as well Dave talked about it surrender and and this point basically I want to th have you think about some about raising children as an example 
you'll sometimes your young children, when you say, okay, it's time to go to bed or clean your room or something they don't want to do. And even the compliant children will sometimes, what you'll experience is surrender. It's not, I mean, it's acceptable. It's not what you would always hope for, which is, oh, all right. And they're dragging their feet back out to, over to their room or whatever it is. They're surrendered to doing what you've asked. But what you want to see is something up this arrow a little further, more often than not. <laughs> and that, so the next one is abandoning your will. And this is basically the idea of, of seriously aligning your will with the will of God. This is, for example, I think I have Galatians 2.20 on there. Uh, so what do you have here? When Paul said, okay, I'm no longer the one living here. However, I, I am still alive, but it's not me. What is it? It's, it's Jesus Christ in me. And in what way is that so? He still has a life to live, but he is living it as Jesus would have him live it. And this is like the attitude when the child says, um, or let's say a little bit older, when they get a little older and they go to work with dad, and they say, okay, dad, I finished that task. What would you like me to do now? That's different than saying, could you go do this now, son? And he says, oh, all right. That's the next step, is saying, what's next? What can I do next? And then the third and, and, of course, you realize that this is not as linear as I'm presenting it. We go through cycles, don't we? And, and we might have certain areas of our life where in this particular area, we're kind of further up the scale. And in another area, we're pretty reluctant to even examine where we are in relation to God's heart on that matter. It looks like I'm saying it's just, you know, it's all one, one scale here. But, but this is the process that we should recognize and cooperate with. Uh, or, or the, the next area is contentment. And so that's when you're now not only recognizing that you are operating in harmony with God's will in a particular matter, a particular area, or hopefully your entire life, but you're saying, this is... I, this is re this is really something I can see the benefit in doing this now. This has value to me, and you're you're content in that position. And then the last one is participation. You and and this is this is um, where you're now not only looking for the next thing to do, but you're seeing the big picture of what is being accomplished, and you're participating and even taking initiative. You've gone from, you know, oh, all right, to what's next, to saying, hey, act this job, to saying, oh, I see what's next to be done. How about we do this? Should I go get that and pick this up, and should I do this? You're, you're now not only content, but you're actually taking an active part 
in choosing to carry out the will of God on earth as it's being done in heaven. This is the process that, that I, want us to, I want us to look at each one of these areas in a little more detail and go through those verses together and just try to understand how we can participate in those steps. And that is the idea, if we go through this, when we get to that point of participation, that is the use of our spirits, our ability to choose, our heart, which our orientation being in harmony with what God is doing on this earth in and around us. Let me pray. God, we, we are here, each one of us in our own way, recognizing our need. And I, for one, find myself standing in the need and am fully aware that it's not my brother, not my sister, but it's me, O oh Lord. And yet I, I know also that we need each other to encourage one another and to spur each other on that as part of your model that we would be in this journey together experiencing the transformation and reaping the benefits, each one of us, from the functional maturity of each one of us here together help us as a church really focus in on how to align ourselves with your will for us corporately, for us individually, how to be a place of grace that recognizes that people will be at different places in different areas of their lives and that in one area we may be strong, we can uphold another and in another area they might uphold us. And rather than condemning each other, May we each grant grace to those and use the strength that you have given us to be able to be gracious towards those who need it. Lord, help us to be recognizing and cooperating with you in what you want to do in the midst of that need. And I ask it in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thanks for listening in today. Our vision at TRC Ministries is to see individuals fulfill their calling under the authority of the church, using the resources of the kingdom of God. If you enjoy this podcast, make sure to subscribe so you don't miss any upcoming episodes. And for more information on TRC Ministries or to contact us, go to www.regenerationcenter.org.